Our scripture reading this morning is in 1 Corinthians 18 through 31. This is from the Common English Bible Translation. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is written in scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. But who are the, where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at your situation and where you were called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many were wise, not many were powerful, and not many were from the upper class. But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can brag in God's presence. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. He became wisdom from God for us. This means that he made us righteous and holy, and he delivered us. This is consistent with what, is, what was written. The one who brags should brag in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So as I, I was prepping this week, or the last couple weeks, kept having this weird Al Yankovic song come to my brain. My brain. No, it wasn't white and nerdy, though that is very accurate whenever describing me. Um, he has a song, this is from the Deep Catalog, called Everything You Know Is Wrong. Um, and every time I read this passage, I kept thinking, everything you know is wrong. And so that's what we got today. Um, let's pray real quick. Dear God, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the collective wisdom that has been passed down to us through the ages. We pray that your presence would be here amongst us, that you would be discernment to our ears and to our lips, and that you would help us to find a greater sense of our humanity and our divinity in you as we go through this. In your name, amen. So this passage is interesting. It's actually teeming with all sorts of really fascinating philosophy that I'm not necessarily going to inflict on you today. Um, but it gets... Most of its interest in it is when you understand sort of its background. And so like usual, every time I get up here, we're going to do background and stuff. Um, so Paul's background with Corinth starts in Acts chapter 18, and it lasts for all of half a chapter. We don't know exactly how much time it was. It was it's, for those of you who want to know, it's 18, 1 through 17. Um, so essentially he goes there, he starts a church, bad stuff happens, and then he leaves for someplace else, which is sort of the, the pattern of everywhere he went in the book of Acts. He goes, causes trouble, leaves. Um, but after he left, he's, a correspondence with, with the church in Corinth happened. 
and Bianca mentioned a couple weeks ago that there was probably more than two letters to Corinth. Uh, most uh, scholars believe that there were at least four and probably more letters to Corinth. Um, and what we call 1 Corinthians was probably the second or third letter, actually. Um, it definitely wasn't the first letter. But the occasion for 1 Corinthians uh, was that, I love this because in the passage just before what we read, we get told why Paul was writing. He's told, Chloe's people wrote me. And I've always wanted to know who Chloe's people were. Um, I don't know. I think it was one of Chloe's servants who was like, these rich people are crazy. Because if you read the rest of this book, they're crazy. Um, so what Chloe's person writes to Paul is essentially that the church, since Paul has left, has split into a series of sects. So there's the people who follow Apollos, and there's the people that follow Paul, and there's the people that follow, there's another guy, Cephas. Um, and then there are the people who say, well, I just follow Jesus. And I'm pretty sure those people were just insufferable because... <laughs> We've all met those people. I don't believe in the church or anything, but I follow Jesus. It's always insufferable. Um, but Paul is like, no, 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 no. That's not what, that's not how any of this works. There's also more background to this. So Corinth exists on, the, the city of Corinth is on an isthmus, which is a great word. Don, that's your word for the day, okay? okay. Don, I don't know if you've ever recognized, noticed this. Don usually sits in the back, way in the back, like outside of this room, in the back room, um, listening to the sermons. When I preach, he comes up to about the fourth, fourth row because he, and just like focuses, because he wants to know what the big word I'm going to say that day is. Um, I'm sorry, Don, the best I got for you is Isthmus. Oh, by the way, Don turned 88 this week. Which I told him was impressive, especially for him. So, what? That's all, my, that's all I got, Don. I just wanted to embarrass you today. Um, anyways, so Corinth exists on an isthmus, which for the, I had to look this up. An isthmus is a thin strip of land. It's also a word that's terribly difficult to say. Um, it's a thin strip of land that connects two larger land bodies. And, and so back in the day, um, when you wanted to sail across the Mediterranean, uh, Mediterranean Sea, you didn't actually sail across the sea because that would be crazy time because you'd probably get hit a storm and die and drown. Instead, what they would do, they, you, essentially you sailed around the, the Mediterranean Sea. So you were always sort of within sort of eye shot of land and in case something happened. So you could either swim back to land if you were fit or at least there's a good chance that another ship was going to come by and could pick you up. Um, but when you get, when they get to this area where Corinth is, so Corinth is this th thin strip of land, I'm not going to say that word again, um, that connects two larger bodies. And so essentially your choice, which if you're the ship captain, is to sail around this, this other large body of, of land, land body, I keep flipping those words around, this other large land body, or you can dock in, in Corinth or the city on the other side of the isthmus. Um, and then everybody gets off and you go to the other side and then you get on a boat and then you keep going. This is what they would do. This was the most common practice of time because it, it's an extra three or four days to sail around this other larger land body and it's like a day's, day's trip to go from one side of this isthmus to the other. Um, and so that's what they would do, it was faster. And so that means that Corinth was not only 
a busy city, but it was an intercultural and multicultural city. And within this city, that mean, because of this, it means that there was a lot of different views and understandings and languages and a lot of ways of understanding God or gods uh, at the time. And keep in mind, Corinth is in Greece, the land of Zeus and Apollos and Titans. And so we've got these, these big, strong gods. And so the idea that God is strong and powerful is very important at the time in, in this particular area, as well as this is also Greece, the land of Aristotle and Pluto and Pluto? Plato. Pluto's a former, former planet. Uh, Plato, <laughs> say it again. Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and like all these very wise men. And so there's all this stuff teeming within Corinth. And so when Paul plants a church, it's a kind of a big deal because the ideas behind Christianity are just not compatible with so much of Greek culture and other culture in the area. Uh, and so Paul sit, plants this church and then he leaves and then people within the church start trying to evangelize people. And so what happens is they end up going around and say, well, I believe in Jesus who died on a cross. And at that point, people would cut him off. And you see, in, in Western Christianized culture, we've done a really stellar job of sanitizing crucifixion into making it into a thing that is not gross, um, which is kind of the best way. I remember I was in a Bible study once. once. I was not leading it. I was just in the Bible study, and the person leading it, it was, it, we were talking about the passage where Jesus says, if you follow me, you need to take up your cross every day, right? Um, and, and the pastor says, so what does the cross represent here? And somebody in the back, who is also on pastoral staff, embarrassingly enough, said, it means victory! And that, that is not what the cross represents. So crucifixion, and I don't want I don't, I don't to go into torture porn stuff like we've got the, the whatever that movie is that Mel Gibson made, um, that, that is torture porn. But crucifixion was done by the Romans to humiliate you. It was terrible. You get, you get a nail on each wrist, one nail through both feet, you get stuck on this thing where you dehydrate and eventually suffocate to death. If you're lucky and they decide to be merciful to you, they will break your legs so that you suffocate sooner. It's gross. It's terrible. It's a horrific way of dying. And on top of this, the Romans wouldn't crucify you on, in some field way out where nobody would see you. They take the, the crosses would go up next to the side of very busy roads so that people could, could walk by and see you dying. It was in the imperial way of saying, we are more powerful than you. We will take you out if you mess with us. It was intimidation in that regard. So when the evangelists within Corinth go to the Greeks and the Romans and the people in the area and they say, well, we believe in a God who was killed on a cross, that was a stop because only the scum of the earth got killed on a cross. And so clearly Jesus was nothing great. And so as, as a result, what the, these evangelists done is they started tweaking the meaning of the cross and around it. And so they started talking about restrained power, how Jesus could have come down from the cross but chose not to because he was restraining his power. But he will one day come back and serve wrath on all his enemies and 
then send them to a burning, fiery pit. We've all heard this before because this thing continues to exist. I mean, there's a reason why there's so much of the church that just goes nuts if you start disputing the existence of hell. Because there's this idea that in some way, following Jesus means that Jesus is going to inflict his power upon those who don't rightly believe and send them to hell. And so Paul finds out about all of this stuff, and he's like, no, 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 no. You remember the, the uh, I think it was a Geico commercial, where there's like an old lady with her friends, and her friend's like, look, I've got a Facebook wall, and it's just like all these pictures on the wall, and the other lady looks at him and is like, no, no, that's not how any of this works. Um, and that's what Paul does here. Paul essentially looks at them and is like, no, let's talk about what this actually means. So in the, what I'm about to go into, it, it, it's a little weird. Um, I promise I'll bring you back around in the end, but it's a little weird. And the best way that I have to describe it is, some of you might know there, there's a movie that came out last year called Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's one of these, it's an excellent movie. Um, it's one of these movies that has multiple universes where things are kind of the same, but they're different. Um, so there's this one scene, there's one universe where the, the main character and her nemesis are, they're, they're together, and rather than being enemies, they're lovers, and they have hot dogs for fingers. It's <sighs> weird. And so instead of doing things with their hands, they do everything with their feet. Um, 99% of the world outside of that is entirely the same as the world that the rest of us know, right? And the world that the movie starts in except they have their fingers and that are made out of hot dogs and they're lovers. So it's basically the same, but entirely different. And, and that's, what, that's what Paul is doing in this passage. Is, see, what Paul is getting at here is, because it, it feels a little bit like opposite day when you, when, when you read what Paul's saying, right? You're like, oh, well, they say strong, but they mean weak. And when they say that we're weak, they mean strong. So you, you can make this sort of like inversion case and just make, preach well, uh, well clearly they don't understand what the cross means because it's it's truly the wisdom of god and they're really foolish for not understanding it <sighs> no that's not what paul is doing and all too often this passage be- becomes an excuse for doing s- stupid things in the name of jesus um well they don't understand the wisdom of god it's foolishness to them no you're being an idiot it's not what it is so what paul is going at here is that it's not that god is weak or that god has some sort of super strength that's different from um earthly strength but that god doesn't operate in power and god is impervious to power so you see we live in a world that lives in the binary we live in a world that exists in a binary that says that either you're strong or you're weak either you live in power or you live in weakness and god says no I exist outside of that world. Your binary doesn't hold for me. And so God exists outside of power. And so in a world that operates in that binary, if if the only way to be determined as strong is to operate in power, that would mean, by definition, mean that God has to be weak. But God's not weak because God is outside of that. So it's like the, the movie where it's like, everything is basically the same, but totally different. God exists in such a way that human power cannot affect God. And the fact that you are powerful as a human doesn't affect God. 
because God does not operate in power. God operates in a totally different way. I told you there was philosophy here. I'm trying not to do this crazy. But here's the thing. Power, power desires more power. Always desires more power. Power operates in two ways. Power lets you know that it's powerful, and then it seeks new ways of seeking, of creating power. This is the reason why Romans would put that cross on the side of the road. It did two things. It displayed their power to the rest of the world, and it also caused more power or in, the, in the process of causing fear in the people that were by, by, right? Don't F with us. We will take you out, right? So it creates more power for the Romans, putting that person on the cross. The thing is, things haven't changed that much, right? I mean, we saw it just this week. Just this week, we watched those in power lynch another black man in our country because they could. They did it on a video for all the world to see. How? How is that different from a Roman cross? How is that different? We walk around in this country with weapons of war strapped to our hips so that we can feel powerful. We have a generation of children who have gone to school every day not knowing if some Yahoo who feels disempowered is going to walk into their school and blow them to bits so that he can feel powerful. I mean, heck, it's not just schools anymore. We, it's everywhere. Am I right? Clearly, power is not the panacea that we've been told that it is. Power is a corrupting force. It always seeks more of itself. The and the answer isn't like some sort of populist movement where where those without power rise up. So that because we've seen this play out time and again, where that happens. But then what happens is you end up with another group of people that have power that inflict that power on other people because power will always seek more power. And that's not what God is calling us to. I mean, this is why every time we watch the church debase itself in some sort of quest for social or political power, it feels so disgusting. Because God is not calling us to power. God is calling us to love because love doesn't seek itself, it seeks relationship. And it seeks an interaction with others. Power will sacrifice the other. Love sacrifices for the other. There's a distinction here, and that's where Paul is going at here. Yeah, to those with power, what we preach is foolishness. Giving up power, not seeking and desiring power. That is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the strength of God. Because it means that we've moved to a place where the powers of this earth are no longer the things that move us. We are not guided by a desire for more power. We can't be drawn into terribleness because power is being offered to us. God is calling us to love, to love our neighbor, to love the one next to us, to love those across the ocean that we don't know. This distinction is necessary. And that's where Paul is going with this thing. And it's easy to look, look at it and think, oh, there's a mic there. Um, 
look and think, oh, well, Paul's just sort of, it's just sort of opposite day thing, or it's just like, it, we're just going to call it strength because that way we can feel better about it. No, God, Paul is actually actively working at this idea that when you step into the reality that God exists in, you cease to be drawn to power and you s- because power will only destroy. Love builds up and God exists in that. God is impervious to power, and so he looks weak to those who only know power. But the weakness of God is stronger than the strongest strength that the world has to offer. And so here's the question for everybody here, and it's worth thinking about. And what is your relationship to power? How is power drawing you? Because it's out there. It's telling you, oh, if you do this thing, you're going to make this much more money, which is going to make you that much more powerful. You do this thing, you're going to have this much more influence on the, on the HOA board. You do this or that. Things. Power is out there calling to us to do things. And honestly, we live in a world where power is necessary to make things happen. But are you the type of person that's going to allow power to be powerful in your life? Or are you the per- type of person that's going to uh, allow power to exist, but also be impervious to its allure? And that's what I got for you today.